You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. Colts fans, welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. A hybrid edition of this week's Blue Horseshoe Pod because it's a short week. Colts tech, uh, Colts Broncos, I should say, playing on Thursday night. So it's kind of a little bit still of a recap of Sunday's loss to the, Titan, uh, to the Titans. And also now a preview as well of the Thursday night game against the Broncos. George Stoya, the Odyssey host for Touchdown Denver, the, the Broncos Odyssey podcast will join us here to kind of go behind Emmy lines and talk about what is a struggling offense. So us, George, Georgia, George, we'll have a lot familiar here when it comes to Thursday night with two bad football teams offensively, especially getting set to meet on the primetime stage. But before we get to Thursday night, George, let's talk about still kind of what happened on Sunday and a byproduct, I think, of what has just been the quarterback carousel and that has continued since Frank Reich and Chris Ballard really have gotten to town. And really since, you know, Angela came and went um, back in 2019. So I thought Naeem Hines on Monday had a really interesting and kind of telling quote. If you missed it, here it is. This is Naeem Hines on Monday again. He said, quote, not an excuse, but every year we have a new quarterback. So each year we have growing pains while we sit here and watch Tennessee, which has had Tannehill, what, my whole career. And each year we're restarting. We have to turn the page. So that sucks a little bit, too, that most teams we play have an established guy, but that doesn't matter. We have to figure it out, and we will figure it out. A very interesting, very honest quote, George, because it's really what a lot of Colts fans have been thinking the last five years when you have five different starting quarterbacks. And I wonder, this one, two, and one slow start we've seen again, and really it's kind of been the hallmark of the Frank Reich era, teams getting off to slow starts. Can we chalk it up to easily a new quarterback in there every time, no matter how much training camp they have, no matter all, no matter how much offseason work or how healthy they are, there's going to be a level of a slow start because you're still trying to get used to the new quarterback. Is that fair what Naeem Hines is saying? I think it's part of what's going on. I mean, I think like everything else right now with this team, I don't think there's any one easy answer to, to anything that, that that's going on right now. Uh, but I think that's definitely a factor. Um, it was actually after the game on Sunday, he said it, people were talking about these slow starts and, and, and wanting to know, uh, you know, is, is there any kind of connective tissue there? Is there anything he can put his finger on? And he said, well, you know, there's a new quarterback every year. And so the offense is starting from scratch every year. I think more so than, than even like learning the playbook and, and, and some of the more obvious things, I think one of the biggest factors is just learning the new personnel around you. Like in, in, Matt Ryan's case and Philip Rivers case, they'd been in one spot for so long. They had kind of run things there. People adjusted to them. And now all of a sudden they're adjusting to everyone else, which is, which is a new situation. But you even saw it a little bit from, from Andrew Luck in 2018, coming back from a year off. There were a lot of new pieces that year that he hadn't played with before. And it took him a while. And there's no doubt that, that that's playing into the offensive starts, uh, you know, being lackluster. This year's worse. You know, there's no question about it. this year's deeper because of two factors. One is the the pass protection uh, with the offensive line in general. The running game has been really bad. Uh, and then 15 sacks through through four weeks is just way beyond 
anything that would be acceptable. And then the fumbles from, from Matt Ryan, which are just baffling uh, week after week. You know, he he's obviously focusing on this. It's something that has not been a problem for him, like, throughout most of his 14-year career. Uh, it's really mind-boggling, but that's also putting this offense back because they've only lost three of the nine fumbles, but even the six that they, they, they recovered tend to kill drives and take points mm-hmm. off the board. Um, and, and I think that's kind of a symptom of, of, of the overall inefficiency of this offense, whether it's a penalty, whether it's a, a missed assignment, whether it's, you know, a fumble, they're doing something on, on more drives than not to, to stall that drive without the defense really having to do a lot to stop them. You're 100% right. And, like, there's always a learning curve. And, like, especially Matt Ryan, when you're in Atlanta for 14 years or you're Philip Brewers when you're in, you know, L.A., San Diego for as long as you were, it's an adjustment going to a new scheme, a new system, basically learning a brand-new language. For anyone who's ever taken a second language, it's not easy. For me personally, I'm awful. I have taken Spanish for a very long time in high school and college. Not much has stuck, George. So it's a, it's a very hard transition. I understand that. I think Naeem Hines' comments, I both think he's right, and I do have a problem with them, if that makes sense. Let's start at least where I have a problem with them. When it comes to specifically on Sunday, and when it comes to the last few years where the Titans have owned the Colts, I don't think it's fair to, let's say, put a lot of the blame on the rotating quarterback situation the Colts have had and the consistency the Titans have had. We know from the Titans' offense how they run is with Derrick Henry. Now, Ryan Taylor's played well, and he's made a few throws. But we know that's an offense, and most part, Derrick Henry's killed the Colts. So that's a still a Tennessee offense that, for the most part, they need Derrick Henry to play really well, like he did on Sunday, in order for them to win. And we saw in the second half, when the Colts bottled him up, that Tennessee offense literally got only one first down in the second half. But when it comes to the Colts and when they played the timing-wise of the Titans, I believe the earliest, off the top of my head, they have played Tennessee in every, all of this, I've shuffled around is week three last year. I believe that was the earliest they played Tennessee to start a season. So we're talking about at least two to three games each year that new quarterback has had to get accustomed to the offense, get comfortable, and kind of get things on the same page. I thought even on Sunday, Matt, Matt Ryan's had three games, right, going into week number four. We saw a lot of the miscommunication issues. We saw a lot of even the timing issues disappear. So it's not like it's still, oh, we're trying to get on the same page or they're still trying to learn the playbook or get on the same, you know, learn the terminology, make sure everyone's, you know, miscommunication-wise going forward consistently and, and in, being in the correct space. It's literally just, like you said, Matt Ryan fumbling the ball and the uh, Colts offensive line not protecting. Like, I don't I don't think if you're Naeem Hines, you can sit here and blame for the most part of the reason why the Titans have dominated the Colts in recent times is one five out of six is a quarterback inconsistency for Indy. Would you agree with that? No, I agree. I think it's the reason that the Titans have won five out of six and four straight at Lucas Oil is they don't beat themselves. I mean, you go into right. these contests almost every year, the Colts lose a turnover battle and and the, and the Titans win the game. Uh, and that's that's why, you know, yeah, there's a lot of sloppy play out there. And, and some of it is no doubt the offense learning to play together as a unit because, you know, they've got a new quarterback and, and a lot of new pieces. But some of it's just flat, poor execution. And I think, you know, are they related at times? At other times, in, in, in either way, you know, it really doesn't matter whether it is because of the the new pieces and in, in, in the gelling process or it's not. It doesn't matter. No one cares in the NFL. No one gives you a break. Nobody feels sorry for you in this league. You got to go out and execute on Sunday. And it, it you look at Denver, they're having a lot of the same problems in a lot of the same situation. 
They got a new quarterback coming over from Seattle and Russell Wilson. The offense is struggling. They're trying to get on the same page together. Uh, you know, I, and again, nobody, nobody feels sorry for, for Denver either. So I think you're just in a situation where you've got to get it done. You've got to find a way, especially now that you're into October. And that's where it's, if, if you look back at these other slow starts, it's week five, week six, somewhere in that neighborhood, when mm-hmm. things start to click for, for, for Frank Reich teams, no better time than now. No better time than that. That is for sure. But you're right. Like also, too, like, I mean, after a while, like you have enough time, at least this year specifically, to where these new, you know, still getting used to new quarterbacks should be put away at this point. You still should be comfortable going to week four and you had a full offseason with a new quarterback to be on the same page and feel comfortable with what you're going to do. And again, like you mentioned, a lot of these, these, I feel like a lot of these games are called to the loss of the Titans specifically have been more about them losing it than the Titans winning it. So that's where at least I had an issue with Naeem Hines' comments after the game when it comes to specifically trying to blame a lot of the losses recently to the Titans on their quarterback consistency and the Colts' lack thereof. But where I think he's right and has a point going forward now, spring this forward, George, I mean, he's right. Like The Colts cannot be doing this. You cannot be going into every year uh, with a new quarterback or even in the case of Matt Ryan, if things went best-case scenario this year, which obviously they're not, but if they were, it's what a two-year fix. Right, like you're talking about a guy who's who's planning on being here this year and next year, so you're still talking about a very short-term fix. Where the earliest or the latest 2024, you're looking for another quarterback again. I think this so far, George, this slow start, I think has to send one message to whether it's Jim Irsay, whether it's Chris Ballard if he's still here, or the new GM, the new head coach, whatever happens at the end of the year. This has to be the offseason, George. They invest in a quarterback. Not in the fourth round, not in the fifth round like Sam Ellinger is a project, a legitimate first-round talent that they can see either developing into or being right away their franchise starting quarterback from week number one. Yeah, I, I felt that way even before the slow start. I mean, I, I think this offseason always was sort of the one that you're going to target. Uh, part of that is what they're going to have in, in terms of assets. Um, you know, they really need Carson Wentz to start 13 games there in Washington, which we'll see. There's some buzz out there now that, that you know, the natives are getting restless and we'll we'll see if they go with a quarterback change or Please, not. Don't, don't fetch him. Now I feel like Philly last year. Don't do it, Washington. Let him go. Exactly. You know, so, but I mean, you got, you got to pay attention to that. But if you end up with a second round pick from that deal and you've got the extra second rounder, you know, you could make some packages using your first round picks this year and next and, and move up and, and go get somebody. Probably not in the CJ Stroud or Bryce Young category, although – to continue to play the way they are right now, that will definitely be a possibility. And uh, might not but, have you to know, make a trade either. And might not have to make a trade <laughs> either. And, and you could keep the assets and, you know, the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, looking more in that that Will Levis kind of level, that that second tier of quarterbacks, um, even from the start of the season, I thought that this is, this is when you've got to go make that move, you know. Uh, and even if they turn things around, I don't think it will change anything in that regard. It, this is the time... It's supposed to be a deep quarterback draft. We'll see. I always feel like the draft class always is is more hype this time of year. And then as you get to February and March, they start picking apart prospects and, and they'll say, well, it wasn't as strong as, as we projected. But right now, it feels like it's a, a deep kind of quarterback draft class. Um, and I think the Colts would, would do well to strike this year. You know, it feels like they they're in that the right spot. A lot of times things haven't lined up for them in the last couple of years where they could really take that shot. It, it seemed like really, you know, even this summer, like 
things are starting to align and the time is now to go out there and, and you know, try to get whoever the, the, the true future of this team is going to be. Roz, we know Chris Ballard, again, let's just, at least right now, assume he's the GM going forward. If the Colts turn around, let's just assume, because that's obviously we know his drafting philosophy and his, his thought. He is very frugal about giving away draft picks. We rarely see him trade first-round picks. I know they did it for Carson Wentz. Well, it was a conditional. They did it for DeForest Buckner as well to get him. But Chris Ballard has held on to those picks, and really, especially when it comes to a quarterback, won't force it. And honestly, up until this year, George, I think it's the right move. Like, I do think you can't just say, let's take a quarterback and see what happens. Because I do think that sets you back more than not if you're not sold on the guy or you're reaching for him earlier than he should be drafted. I think that really hurts your franchise more than just kind of helps it. Like, I don't think just kind of blindly taking a shot works. You have to have conviction and fall in love with the guy. So like you mentioned, this is now a deep quarterback draft class on the surface right now. So sitting here in early October, like I said, where still a lot of prospects are hyped up. But assuming this draft class is as deep come March as we think it is right now in October, like you mentioned, this has to be a situation where do whatever you do, whether the Colts are sitting there, I don't know, 10 or 11, and maybe you trade up to get in the top 10, or maybe they, they turn around and they're sitting there in the low 20s and you trade up to the mid-teens. Like you mentioned, you don't have to get a top two or three pick to get a, a transformational quarterback. Look at of the recent history of teams, what they did. You had the Houston Texans when they moved up to get Deshaun Watson. They trade up to, I believe, it was number 12 in that draft to go get Deshaun Watson. And that same draft, the Chiefs traded up from like 27 to 10 to get Patrick Holmes. You don't have to have the number one overall pick or number two overall pick to get that franchise guy. If you identify him, you could still get him in the mid-teens you know, or, or closer to 10 or 11 than you would one or two. So identify the guy you like, but like you mentioned, you have to strike wherever you are in the draft come, come April, whether it's moving from the low teens to the, you know, into the, the, you know, seven, eight, nine range, whether it's in the low twenties going to the teens, you have to make a move. This has to be, like I said, the off season where they finally say, you know what, enough of the band-aids, enough of the one or two year projects or hope Carson Wentz is a hope project. Matt Ryan, I, even though it was a two-year, you know, kind of marriage, we'll say, that was kind of, oh, I hope he can make it for two years. There's no certainty. This has to be the year where you have some certainty now going forward and say, this is going to be our guy going forward. Yeah, but the key to that is you you have to have the guy that you fall in love with. And I think that's been True. part of part of the issue, you know, throughout the year, um, throughout the, the, the previous years, is that they really haven't felt like there was a guy who was in their range who they could really go and target who they thought could be that difference maker. And the problem is when you draft that guy, he better be because now all the pressure's on. Look at Chicago right now with Justin Fields. You know, they go up for him uh, and then they don't make the commitment around him and he's struggling. And now he's in a bad situation due to where he was drafted and the investment they put in him. You've got to really have that conviction. I, it's not a reason not to do it, um, but you've got to have that conviction to do it. You know, if, if you don't, you can't take a flyer, I guess, is what I'm saying on a first round. Agree, totally. You got to, you got to believe in that guy, you know. And, and I, I've heard a lot of people saying, "Well, what about Justin Herbert?" I don't get that one. I really don't. You traded your first round pick that year that was 13 for DeForest Buckner. First of all, that wasn't a bad move. That, that's not one that I think Chris Ballard's regretting. But secondly, Herbert went sixth in that draft. He's not like he fell. You're talking about, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, and Deshaun Watson who fell into that 10-12 area. You know that was it a unique situation and the Texans and the chiefs were able to take advantage of that. That wasn't the situation with Justin Herbert. He was a sixth overall pick and we all knew Miami wasn't trading five. 
So you're right. going to have to get from 13 into the top four to even have a shot at him. And there's nothing that I've heard, no reporting that, that I know of that suggests that was a possibility for the Colts. So that's why I agree with you. I think where they've been right now, the one guy they probably could have made a, an attempt at was Justin Fields, the way that draft played out. But, you know, who knows that things would be any better for him here in Indy now than they are in Chicago. So the, the, the Justin Herbert thing, I just, I don't know. It's, it's baffling to me. I, I don't understand where that's coming from. I see it all the time. You know, they should have gone after Justin Herbert. Well, they should have gone after Trevor Lawrence then too. It makes as much sense. And Justin Herbert too, like, let's not pretend to have a revisionist history. Like, oh, we knew he was going to be this potential top five quarterback. Like, there was a lot of questions. I remember when the Chargers started, I'm like, I have no idea what he could be. Like, Oregon, he was a guy who kind of regressed. Like, he came back. He could have went the year before, mm -hmm. came back. There was there was a, more questions, like you mentioned, George, than answers. And when the Chargers took him at six, I don't think that was one of those resounding, oh, wow, they got the best quarterback in the draft or one of the best quarterbacks in the draft in a year that had Joe Burrow and Tua as well going one and five, like you mentioned. So it's so much easier when teams take a chance and hit it, like Patrick Holmes. Oh, of course. Why didn't the Colts trade and get Patrick Holmes or just or Deshaun Watson? Like, well, it's easy to say that now, five years later, but it's like no one actually knew what Patrick Holmes was going to be. If so, he went first overall, and no one would have, you know, that would have been it. That would have been over. But like you mentioned, too, and that's part of the reason why, George, I appreciate the way Chris Ballard has so far attacked and viewed the quarterback position because the Bears' point you make is 100% right. The Bears, in order to save their jobs last year with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, took Justin Fields. They traded up to make the move as he's falling down the draft board. Well, they gave no offensive line. They had Allen Robinson there for a year. No running game whatsoever. The head coach is on his way out. The, the GM obviously just got fired. Now this year you have Matt Eberflus, as, as we know, they're going to going to Chicago. They lose run, you know, they lose running backs. They lose wide receivers, and now he's sitting there getting killed behind a bad offensive line with no one to throw the ball to. And like you said, there's questions about how good is he? Is he a bust ready so the Bears move on after two years? They haven't given him a chance. That's also part of it, too. Like you mentioned, it's not just taking a flyer. It's like, oh, let's just get this guy and see what happens. It's also having conviction in the guy you want, but also, too, giving him a chance to succeed. I know the Colts right now are playing some of their worst football. We've seen them play in a while. This team, though, I do think is in a position where if they get a young quarterback, let's say in the draft next year, I think he'd be put in a position to succeed. Uh, to succeed. Uh, I know he's not playing great this year so far. A lot of reasons for that. But you have an all-pro running back in, in Jonathan Taylor. You have a really good wide receiver who's up and coming and is emerging to be, you know, a top 15, top 20 wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr. The offensive line, it's there's talent there. They're not playing well right now, but there's talent there for at least three of the five positions. Like, there is a lot there where if you take a ch chance, you should hit, and, and I should say the likelihood of success should be higher considering what you have around them on offense right now compared to a situation, like I said, if you go to the Bears where there's nothing around you, you're kind of swimming in the deep end without ever having, you know, been asked to swim before. I think the other, you know, the other piece of that is you're going to have to get a long-term left tackle in here yes, uh, as well. You know, the quarterback comes first and you've got to do that. And the very next move is going to have to be to, to shore up that left tackle spot. And it's got to be the same way. It can't be another veteran that, that's coming in for a short term. You've got to go find the left tackle of the future. And I think those are the two most important pieces right now. And as you look at the offense, um, you know, those are, those are part of the reasons they're struggling as much as they are this year because that, that left tackle spot, Matt Pryor's had good games and bad games. Um, I thought he really struggled on Sunday and it was part of the problem. He hadn't been a, a couple of the, the previous weeks, uh, but you know, he's obviously not the, the 10 year solution here. And right. that's what they need to find. You know, that guy that that's going to be that, lockdown, you know, left tackle of the future. Is it Bernard Raymond? 
you know, it's unusual for it to be a third round pick. So we'll see how that plays out. He's been injured, so they can't really take as, as long a look at him right now as they probably would like to. Um, but I think that's the other spot. And then and, and again, you know, you've got to have the right situation. You've also got to have the right quarterback. You know, hats off to Kansas City and, and Houston for identifying those guys early on, being aggressive and going and getting them. And I think that's something the Colts are trying to do. I'm sure it's something they've been trying to do the last couple of years. It just feels like the odds are better this year that maybe that guy's there just because it is a deeper draft class. Right. And hopefully, George, that's the move that they do hit, whether it's at pick one, which they're kind of trending towards right now, or whenever it is sometime in the first round, you hope that they do hit for sure. But we do have a lot of time, a lot of time between now and let's say next April to uh, break down which quarterbacks could fit in and which quarterbacks maybe the Colts will have their eye on for sure. But we got ourselves a game coming up here, George. Week number five set to kick off here uh, very shortly. <sighs> Boy, it could be an ugly game. George, it could be a really ugly game considering that right now you have two of the lowest scoring offenses in the NFL. The Colts dead last. The Broncos are 30th in points per game. So points are going to be at a premium for sure. And it doesn't help injury-wise. Both teams are coming and banged up. Jonathan Taylor uh, is going to be a, a game-time decision. And it sounds like Javante Williams for the Broncos we know is already out with a torn ACL. So both teams coming in with running back injuries. It's weird to say, but I'll, I'll ask this question this way. Who do you think has the off uh, has the advantage offensively going into this matchup on Thursday? It's so hard to say right now with both of them banged up. I, I can't say it's the Colts. They're last in the league in scoring, and, and they continue to to you know be their own worst enemy on that side of the ball. Um, nothing that happened Sunday really makes you feel like that's going to turn around. They they did a better job in pass protection. Still gave up three sacks, so that's obviously still a big problem. Um, I think that the the run game just being completely absent against the Tennessee T defense that really had struggled against the run is a major red flag. Um, and then, you know, we'll see. I, I think they had some success going to a little bit quicker passing game in the fourth quarter. Uh, Matt Ryan seemed to be getting rid of the ball a little bit faster. They, they've got some guys stepping up in that regard. Uh, you know, huge game for Mo Alley-Cox. Mm -hmm. Alec Pierce is starting to really flash. And, and when you do that in back-to-back -back weeks, you're going to get people's attention. I think Jelani Woods and Kylan Granson also had big games. Paris Campbell stepped up and had one of his be – the best game he's had this year, one of the better games that he's had. Uh, so I think there there are some reasons for optimism within the passing game, but the running offense right now is, is almost non-existent. So I think if the Colts maybe change up their philosophy a little bit and throw to set up the run, you, you'd have a little bit more confidence for them on Sunday. The problem on the Denver side and why I'm hesitant to give them the edge too – is their quarterbacks dealing with a shoulder injury? And I know Russell Wilson says he's going to play. I believe him 100% he's going to play. But his throwing shoulder is injured, and it's hard for me to imagine that's not an issue, uh, especially when your top running back is now out for the season. Uh, and, and they've had their own issues with, you know, offensive line struggles and, and inefficiency on offense. So um, I, I don't know who's got the advantage. I just know yeah, – I, I, I know that Amazon <laughs> – Amazon's probably going to be questioning their investment this week. They've had some pretty good start here with their Thursday night football, and they're probably going to be they're, – they're the ones that are the, the big losers from this. I know that. Yeah, like you said, it's been – they've had some great games so far to kick off their Thursday night slate. They're right. It's not all peaches and cream, that's for sure, this week with this matchup. Oh, boy. The interesting part for this matchup for the Colts specifically and why, like you mentioned, I just can't give them the advantage right now is because you said it. I think right now this week the Colts are going to have to pass set up the run. They have to – I say a bad in the run, but they're obviously not going to do that. Whether Jonathan Taylor plays or not, I almost think is 
irrelevant in a way because they have no luck running the ball. And this offensive line has been a big reason for it. That even though Josh Jacobs tore up this Denver defense on Thursday, on Sunday, excuse me, in their win, we just saw the Colts against the worst rush defense in the NFL and the Titans not get anything going. I think they had 1.8 yards per carry as a team, I think was the number. So it's like it doesn't matter if they're playing the worst run defense or the second worst run defense. They can't run the ball. The issue, though, is that if you're going to pass it up the run, which I think they should do, and you mentioned, you're talking about a Denver secondary that's elite. Like I know Justin mm-hmm. Simmons, their their safety is on IR, not playing, but Patrick Sertan, man, he's looking really good. He basically takes away half the field. They have some really good corners on the other side as well. And, you know, this is going to be a tough matchup for these Colts receivers. That, like you mentioned, the last two weeks have stepped up and, and I've gained confidence. And now we're starting to stack good game on top of good game, making some big plays and big moments. It's going to be a really, really tough test for them, especially, too, when Denver should know the pass is coming. It's coming often because the Colts have zero ability right now to run the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. When you make yourself one-dimensional like that, you you everything gets more difficult. You know, you, you raise the level of difficulty across the board. I think that's part of what you're seeing on the offense. I think Matt Ryan's trying to do too much. I think that's part of the fumbling issues. People are saying, like, well, he's never done this his whole career. Well, you know, I think he came here with a lot of expectations. He came here with a lot of pressure on his sh- shoulders. I think he's trying to do too much on some of these plays. You know, I think at times he'd be better off just throwing the ball out of bounds or just taking a sack, but because so many other things are not going right right now on offense, he's trying to make plays in situations where he probably shouldn't, and it's costing the football team. You know, that's why, to me, it would be so much easier if you could just say this one area needs to be cleaned up. It's so much going wrong right. right now. I still feel like the offensive line is the biggest part of this, that if they could start, you know, opening up some holes in the ground game and they could – protect him to a point where you're not saying three sacks is a good game um that that's going to make the biggest difference clearly but it's it's got to be everyone you know i, I think i think taylor's kind of in the same boat at times i don't know that you know he won't say it because he's a classy guy but i don't know that he trusts what he's seeing in front of him i mean just watching him back there running now he doesn't seem to be hitting the holes right. as, as quickly as as he did in the past because he's not sure if it's going to be there and so he's he's a little bit more hesitant, and he's it's taking him some time. I think he's missed a couple of chances because of that. Uh, but who can blame him? I mean, it, more often than not, it's not there. And I think that's that trust that the running back and the quarterback have to have in the guys up front. It just seems like it's missing right now. That's a really good point, George, because you're right. Like it, it doesn't seem like Jonathan Taylor is running with confidence. Um, that's a huge problem because, like you said, I mean, he's getting bottled up. He's not getting anything. And you see, especially compared to last year, how it didn't matter how many guys were in the box, he would find a hole or make one guy miss. And then, you know, other guys in the line would get their jobs done and he would be sprung for a 50, 60 yard run. You're not seeing any explosive runs whatsoever. And now it's like he gets a three or four year gain. It's like, all right, like that's that's a great run compared to Jonathan Taylor, which, you know, came into this season averaging 5.3 yards per carry or something absurd. Like he was one of the best in terms of, yards per carry guys in history so far. And now we're saying like, you know, a three yard run is like a productive. It's been like you mentioned, it's been very tough sledding so far for Jonathan Taylor. And your point as well is a frustrating one. But I think you're spot on with this, with this team. This team doesn't suck. We've been talking about it basically the entire year so far through the first month. There's talent there. And I thought Dan Olowski kind of helped bring this point to light. Basically what we've been saying, he tweeted after the chiefs game. I think he said he, he counted 36 different plays in that Titans game. Excuse me. I think it's the Chiefs. Titans game on Sunday that the Colts had 10 of the 11 guys doing what they're supposed to do. And there was one guy either out of position, 
you know, not making the plays been asked to, just failing or whatever, not getting the job done, that blew the play up and either allowed the Titans on offense to make a big play or the Colts on offense not get the ball moving. We're talking about, again, when you're so close, when it's consistently one guy, but for the most part, everyone's doing their job. It's infuriating because this is a one-two-and-one team. Their offense is inept right now, but they're also at the same time not that far away from turning it around. And it's maddening because you want to look and say this is not as bad of a team as they truly are. But at the same time, when you watch the game, it's like they're always consistently making one or two plays, like you said, that kill a drive and kill a game. And after a while, it's like it's just a theme that will not go away. It's beyond frustrating. And I don't see how even heading to Thursday night, like even though from what we see from Denver, the Colts should be the better team, which is kind of crazy to say in this matchup. But I have no confidence they're going to win on Thursday, even with how bad Denver's been, just because, like I said, they've always found a way right now outside of Kansas City to lose. I think the eight, the last 18 to 20 minutes of, of the Titans game, to me, encapsulated everything we're talking about. Three straight offensive drives where they penetrate Tennessee's 30-yard line in a game you're trailing by seven points, and you don't score on any of them. And it was a different thing each time. They had one fumble they recovered that, that ended up with you know them facing fourth and 15, and they had to punt away the, the possession. They had another fumble on a third and one, third and two, down at like the 24-yard line that they lost in a straight turnover. And then you have a sack on, on the third drive that pushes you back and you have to try a 51-yard field goal and it's wide. And, and you come up with zero points on three drives inside the opponent's 30 when you're it's a one-possession game. And, I mean, that those are kind of take away either of those fumbles, take away that third down sack, who knows? Maybe they go in, they tie the game, they go to overtime. You never know what the result's going to be. That's been the problem with this football team all year, though, is that you go back to the Houston game. Well, if they make the field goal at the end, if the, any of another – Hundred things happen in that game, you know. It's a different. If they don't story. run into the punter, if they Rough don't the run punter, into like, the punter, it's like at the it's end of so third quarter. small. But it's like you're right. Like there's a million plays you could point to and say, if that happened, this team could be three and one, or frankly four and zero. Oh. Like it's not uh, crazy to say. But I think that's the NFL, and that's that everybody across the league feeling that way. The, the mm-hmm. margins in the NFL are not. There, there's no you know directional schools in the NFL. There's no bye weeks. There's no easy wins and I think everybody in the NFL feels like everybody with a losing record right now feels like they are 10 plays away from from having a winning record and and having a better season so that's that's what separates the good teams and the bad teams in the NFL that's why I think it's frustrating right now with the Colts you have the talent when you're a young team and you're doing this or when you're a rebuilding team and you're doing this it's it's not happy no one's excited about it but it's more understandable and you're looking Mm -hmm. more towards the future when you come in and this is your window for you know, to contend and you're doing this, it's extremely frustrating. And I think you feel that throughout the building right now. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, yeah. That, you hit it perfectly, George. I cannot add anything else to that. Speaking of frustrating, boy, it's not just us Colts fans here that are frustrated with what we've seen. Denver Broncos fans, the hype was there. The, the excitement, Russell Wilson coming to town was there. And you talk about frustration. Boy, oh boy, the Broncos fans are feeling it. Kind of get a pulse of what's going on in Denver Nation and talk about why the hell this offense is almost as bad as the Colts offense. George Stoya, who does the Touchdown Denver podcast, Odyssey's Broncos podcast, will join us next. Go behind enemy lines right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Really do appreciate George Stoya of the Touchdown Denver Podcast right here on Odyssey for coming behind enemy lines here for a few minutes, kind of preview this Colts-Broncos game from the Denver perspective. George, the first question I think is a very obvious one and a confounding one. What the hell is wrong with this Broncos offense? Well, I wish I had the answer. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people wish they had the answer. You know, guys, I think it's it's one of those things that in the Colts are probably experiencing it a little bit in terms of, you know, they have a, a new quarterback in here, obviously a new coaching staff with Nathaniel Hackett. And I think that it's just taking time for it to mesh. But I think there's also the, the part of it that's like, hey, they really don't have a ton of weapons. Yes, they have Cortland Sutton, who's playing great. Jerry Judy's been pretty inconsistent throughout his career. At least statistics have shown that he's had some problems with drops. They have no tight ends. I mean, that's been virtually uh, non-existent through four games. Uh, and then you look at running back, and now they're without Javante Williams, uh, and they're going to have to rely on you know Melvin Gordon, Mike Boone, and Latavius Murray, who they just signed from the Saints. I think that it's just there's a lot of different meshing points that just haven't hit yet, and I just don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, it could take an entire season for this to finally get going in the right direction. I also think they have some issues on the offensive line. Um, you know, I think that. Right now, obviously, at right tackle, Cam Fleming's their starting right tackle, which is just not ideal. Graham Glasgow, who's been in the league a long time, is their starting right guard. Uh, but it should be Quinn Miners, who got injured in the second game. So I think that they've just got some some injuries here and there. And then again, when you have a new coaching staff, new quarterback, I think it just takes some time. And we've seen that around the league uh, throughout history is, is that it takes some of these guys some time uh, to adjust. Yeah, it's funny. We were just talking about that exact thing earlier on the pod. Uh, and and how that's happened uh, pretty much each of the last five years here in Indianapolis. It's a big part of the reason for the slow starts. Uh, but I wonder about the other side of the ball. The defense really seems to have, have, have kind of picked up where it left off. I know probably not coming off its best performance of the year, uh, but for the majority of this season, this defense has, has given this team a chance to win games. What do you see on that side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, they, they're really talented. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys back from, from the last few years, and, and the, the defense really hasn't changed. They have a new, a new coaching staff, but in terms of what they're doing schematically, it's, it's very similar. And when you have guys in the secondary like Pat Sertan, who's, you know, on, on track to have a Pro Bowl-type season at corner right now, um, you know, that obviously helps Ronald Darby on the other side. It's been in the league a long time. Kwan Williams, they signed in free agency at that nickel spot, DJ Jones, they also signed in free agencies, really kind of helped with the, the run, run defense. And then, you know, Bradley Chubb uh, and Randy Gregory, who's not healthy now, but both those guys were healthy in the first four games. And that makes a huge difference. When those two guys are both healthy, they've shown they can be two of the top pass rushers in the NFL. And I think that they showed that through the first four games. So now, you know, replacing Randy Gregory, they're, they're having Baron Browning, uh, who was originally an inside linebacker. Now he's an outside linebacker. Uh, he's going to come in. They, they're really high on him. The rookie Nick Benito is going to have to play quite a bit um, out there on the edge. And then an inside linebacker, that's kind of where they haven't been as great recently. Uh, Josie Jewell's been in the league a long time, but, you know, he has his, his things that he's good at and things that he's not as good at. 
uh, had a rough game last week in the run game. Uh, Jonas Griffith is a guy undrafted, right? Uh, he's playing inside linebacker as well. Uh, so they've got some guys that are unproven, but a lot of these guys have been in the system for a long time. Uh, Kareem Jackson back there at safety, Justin Simmons, who's you know, he's hurt as well. So I keep bringing up all these guys. They're all hurt. Uh, <laughs> but I think that that's kind of the narrative right now is they, they do have some guys that have been around and been on this team for a long time. And I think that that is helping them. But at the same time, they, they are relatively banged up. And I know the Colts are as well. They've got some injuries, too. But uh, and so does everybody in the NFL. Right. That's the reality. It's, it's how good is your depth? Those are the, the best teams have great depth. Right. Uh, so I think that that's the, the real storyline for the Broncos this week in this game is who can step up in some of those key spots because they did lose several guys this last week. Especially defensively, George, like you mentioned, there's a lot of injuries. And now Randy Gregory on Sunday goes down and he'll miss this game uh, on Thursday against the Colts. But also, too, the other side for the Colts, obviously, they come in, you would think, trying to run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. He's banged up in his own rights. coming a game time decision. Sounds like he plays. Is there any thought after last week or last Sunday when Josh Jacobs runs for 144 yards and really has his way on the ground, is there any concern from the Denver perspective about this Colts run game at all? Or, or you've seen through the first three weeks or four weeks, this Colts team cannot run the ball no matter who's on the other side of the fence. Is there any concern uh, going into this game about the Denver run defense? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think there's 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 big concern because you look at this, this Broncos defense even last year, they struggled against the run. I mean, there were games – that they were in the game and they just needed a stop, right? And and the other team would just run it down the field for five minutes and run out the clock. And that's been a consistent issue. And that's why they went out and signed DJ Jones in the middle, right? Uh, and he's played well and he's helped it somewhat. But even the Texans, the Seahawks, uh, you, you, you've seen these teams that maybe aren't as talented be able to run the football on the Broncos. Maybe the, the statistics don't show it as much. They played really well against the 49ers, which was – kind of surprising uh, how well they played against the run in that game. But other than that, teams have gashed them in the run. So I, I think that if the Colts are going to win this game, it, it's definitely on the ground. I mean, it, that's no offense to Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan's having you know some of his own struggles uh, you know, throughout the first you know few games. But I, I think that if they're going to win, it, it's going to be on the ground. And I think that the Broncos have shown that they're vulnerable in that area. And then when you lose Randy Gregory, who's playing really good football, that edge is, is going to be vulnerable on that other side. And so I, I wonder if they attack kind of the tackles and, and the edges there, um, you know, with, with their run game, because losing Randy is going to be a big loss. And then, um, you know, I think the inside linebackers have shown that they don't always fill the gaps the right way. So I think that it's a big concern for the Broncos moving forward, because you look at their secondary, right? When you have Sertan, uh, Justin mm -hmm. Simmons isn't playing, but, you know, Caden Stearns has come in and played really well at safety. Kareem Jackson, Ronald Darby, K1 Williams. That's one of the better secondaries in the NFL. Uh, and so teams have not been able to throw the ball on them, but they have been able to gash them for some big gains in the in, in the run game. So I, I do think that that is one area that the Colts will, will probably try to expose. I wonder, you know, there's a lot of heat, obviously, on Frank Reich here right now, slow start, and, and a lot of people wondering about, you know, what what's his job status. Is it still a honeymoon situation for, for Nathaniel Hackett, or what's the temperature with the head coach in Denver right now? Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely not the honeymoon phase. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism thrown around here, especially when the first two games were, were pretty much a disaster when you talk about kicking the long field goal uh, in Seattle and, and the time management there and then the Houston game. And, you know, they had you know 15 penalties or whatever it was, a ridiculous number. Uh, and they've cut back on a lot of that the last couple of weeks and they've been, you know, more clean. But I think the, where the criticism now is coming from is, hey, you promised when you came here that we were going to have this high-flying, explosive offense that 
the Broncos have not had in, in recent history, really since Peyton Manning was here, and it just hasn't happened. Now, how much of that is on Nathaniel Hackett and how much of that is on, you know, Russell Wilson hasn't performed up to expectation yet. Uh, some of the weapons haven't performed up to expectation. So I wouldn't say he's on the hot seat. Uh, obviously, it's his first year, and I think that, you know, George Payton, the GM, is going to give him a grace period. Um, but I, it's definitely one of those things that if it doesn't get better throughout the season and if this offense doesn't start clicking, I think people are really going to start questioning him. And they already are. I mean, you know, you guys know how it is. Local radio, uh, <laughs> you know, local blogs, you know, things like that. People are, are always criticizing, you know, what the team is doing. But I do think it'll heat up, especially this week. This is it. I will tell you guys from from the Broncos perspective and, and people here in Denver, they expect to win this football game. They, they think that they should win this football game relatively easily. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be the case. And if they go out and they put together a stinker and they lose at home on primetime um, on a Thursday night game, I, I do think that that seat will definitely get a little bit warmer on Friday. Easily is interesting. Like, we'll give our game picks here in a little bit, George. But if you're thinking, or at least the Broncos, you know, country will say, is thinking like, you know, a, a route or a 24-10, 24-3 victory. That's, I think these two teams are, are way closer than we've seen so far, or at least me and George would expect, considering, at least personally, I'll say this. I was very high in the Broncos going in this year, George. They were my Super Bowl pick, I'll be honest. So, so far through four games, it has not looked very good whatsoever. And like you mentioned, a lot of the heat has been on Nathaniel Hackett so far in this offense, especially. Is there one thing you could point to? Is it like, is it just that he's in over his head so far in the first month? Is it just, you know, uh, whether it's scheme, whether it's game management, whether it's, you know, we've seen this offense not look very good. They're 30th in the NFL towards a points per game. This offense, like you mentioned, has not been what's promised. Is there one thing you kind of point to so far in the first month of the Nathaniel Hackett era that's, killing this team or is it just kind of a lot of things combined right now and, and you know that's that's hurting them yeah i think it's a combination of things but i really think the biggest thing with hackett is i think he's juggling too much and i don't think he realized how much he was going to have to juggle right when you look at his career path he's been an offensive play caller right but he's never had to deal with game management and, and time management in a game and dealing with the other side of the ball as well special teams has been you know, sort of a disaster for, through the first couple of weeks. It's been a lot better since. They, they went out and obviously hired Jerry Rosberg, who was the special teams coordinator for the Ravens for a long time, game management expert or, or whatever his title is. And that's helped them a ton. But I think Hackett is in that situation where he's just got a lot going on in his ear. And I think he probably even had probably too many cooks in the kitchen to start the season where he's had so many people talking to him throughout the game where he's kind of had to clear that out. Uh, and I think you also, again, you you look at where he was last year with the Packers. He wasn't calling plays in Green Bay. Uh, that was still Matt LaFleur. So he's, he's you know, True. adjusting to calling plays again for the first time in four years. And on top of that, he's trying to handle the game management. And I do think there's some factor of, like, there's this pressure of, of making sure Russell succeeds and what does Russell want and trying to tailor things to him. And I'm not saying Russell is in there – trying to like change everything that they're doing. But I do think there's some degree of like Russell wants to do certain things. And so Hackett's trying to tailor what he typically does to what Russell wants, which again, is something new to him. You look at his quarterbacks, obviously Aaron Rodgers, you kind of just did what he did. Uh, and obviously again, LaFleur was running the show there, but you look at, you know, he had Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. I don't think he was tailoring the offense necessarily to Blake Bortles. So I, I just think that it's all those different things that are adding up for Nathaniel Hackett that's making his job just that much more difficult. 
Speaking of things that could make the job a little bit more difficult, Javante Williams, you mentioned earlier, out for the year with a torn ACL. What is that? What kind of hit is that for the run game for Denver? It's a huge one. Uh, and if, if we're talking about anybody on the hot seat, it's Melvin Gordon. Uh, the people here are very frustrated with Melvin Gordon. I mean, the guy's had, I think, five fumbles in his last 44 carries or something crazy like that. Uh, he's had three fumbles returned for touchdowns in his last 12 games, which is just a ridiculous stat. Um, and obviously had this last one against the Raiders, but he's going to be the guy. I, I would assume he's going to be the guy moving forward to them. Now, if he goes out there and he fumbles on Thursday, I would not be shocked at all if the Broncos just decide to move on because the trust factor has definitely gone way down. I mean, b- before Melvin came in that game on Sunday, he he, he was not even getting looks. I mean, it was going to be the Javante Williams show, which was not something that anybody anticipated here. We all thought it was going to be around a 50-50 split. And then after he fumbled twice against the 49ers, it's very clear that Hackett was not going to trust Melvin with the ball. And as soon as he gets in the game, he fumbles the first time he touches it. So I think it's going to be Melvin because they really don't have a ton of options. Mike Boone is a really you know good special teams player. He came in and played a little bit, but he had some drops. He's only had two career starts uh, in, I think, four or five seasons now in the NFL. So he's not a guy that is typically a number one running back. And then they go out and they sign Latavius Murray uh, that I mentioned earlier. I think he's going to end up being – the guy by the end of the season, is he going to play on Thursday? You know, he said today in the locker room, anything is possible. I just highly doubt that he's, even if he's suited up, he's probably not going to play a ton uh, just because he, I mean, he literally just got back from London yesterday. Uh, so I'd imagine the jet lag and, and all of that is going on. Plus he's trying to learn an entire new offense. And I know he's been in the league, you know, nine, 10 years now, but that's a really quick turnaround. So I don't expect to see him much on Thursday. But I do think it'll be Melvin Gordon, which is going to be interesting. I, I don't know if you guys are going to be at the game, but there's talks of fear like Melvin being booed as soon as he comes on the field and, and things like that, which is just it's crazy because he is going to be. I mean, if the Broncos want to win, they need Melvin Gordon to be the old Melvin Gordon. Uh, and I just it, the fan base has 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 turned on him uh, pretty dramatically here within the last few days. It is crazy how just his fumbling issues continue to pop up, George. And it's like, even though I believe it was his first carry on Sunday, he comes after Javante yep. gets hurt, and he costs it right back up, and you, you see that scoop and score go for six. It's, yeah, it's it's very rare the Broncos fans do turn on a uh, on a player, and you, you kind of hear their frustration. That's gonna be very interesting to watch on Thursday. If you can hear the audible boos for sure when and if Melvin Gordon's in the game and and does fumble for sure. Speaking of Melvin Gordon, really this offense we mentioned before, they're thirtieth in the NFL. The Broncos are sixteen point five points per game. It's been a, a real slog. How would you assess Russell Wilson's play so far through the first month? Well, you know, he was not very good in the first three games. I, I guess he was he was average against Seattle, uh, really struggled early, came back late, and I thought played really well um, late in that game and, and obviously took him on the drive down the field and probably should have, you know, had the chance to go for it there on the fourth down. Oh, yeah. uh, but, you know, did not play well against the Tex- Texans, did not play well against the 49ers. Uh, and then I thought he just had his best game this last Sunday against the Raiders. He was really efficient. He hit guys down the field. Um, you know, w- when they did throw the ball, which was weird, they, they kind of got conservative there in the second half, even though they were play- playing from behind. But when they did throw the ball, uh, he came up big. And that's the one thing that I've seen with Russell. And I know there's a lot of people on the outside being very critical of him, uh, a lot of memes, uh, a lot of people <laughs> making fun of him on the outside. But I will say through four games, when they've absolutely needed to go on a drive, He's delivered. Um, he did it against the 49ers. He did it against the mm-hmm. Texans. Really against the Raiders, he did it. They they came within two, and then the defense gave up, you know, 75-yard drive in, in five minutes, and the game was basically over, right? So he has been really good when they absolutely needed it to. 
Now it's just about putting it all together. Uh, I think he's been a little bit inaccurate, and I don't know if that's something to do with you know new wide receivers. Again, when you play in a place as long as he did, like he did in Seattle, and play with guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, you get you get used to them so well, you know where they're going to be. I think he's found that with Cortland Sutton. That's definitely become his primary target, but it's very clear he's still trying to figure that out with Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, you know, the rookie Montreal Washington. And and again, the tight ends, that's another story here. It's like they just do not use their tight ends at all. So, and I don't know if that's a, a Hackett thing or, or Russell's not looking for him or what it is, but I think he's just starting to find his groove. So if anything, if the Colts are looking at it, he is coming off his best game uh, as a Bronco and, and Broncos fans are hoping that that continues this week. Last one for me. Uh, what's the situation with his right shoulder? I know he's on the injury report. How serious a situation is that? Yeah, I think he's fine. Uh, you know, he talked today to the media and he said he's doing good and he's super confident, I think was his exact words that he'll play. I mean, you guys know, I think he's missed only a few games in his entire career. And obviously that was last year with the finger injury. Um, you know, I think he took a hit late in that game. I think that's what it was. It might have even been when he rushed for that touchdown uh, there late in that game because the next drive, he didn't look right. Um, and I, I think he's, he's feeling fine and he's looked better in practice this week. I think they're just giving him some rest, but uh, I do anticipate that he'll play on Thursday. So finally, George, to wrap up, it sounds like the, the feeling around Denver going into this game is that the Broncos will win it and win pretty comfortably. Me and George are about to do our game picks here in a second. I guess I'll spoil my pick. I'm going to pick the Broncos to win this game. I think close. I think the Broncos do win. So I'll, I'll ask you this, George, the Colts win on Thursday. If. Well, that's a, that's a tough. I you know <laughs> I'm picking the Broncos too. I think it's gonna be a slugfest. Um, I don't think either of these offenses have really played up to expectations. I have the Broncos winning like 17-14. But if the Colts are to win this game, I think Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, again, I don't know how healthy he is. You guys said game time decision. But if they're gonna win this game, he's gonna have to do what Josh Jacobs did um, and rush for you know 140, 150 type yards. You know, score a touchdown or two. Um, because I just don't see Matt Ryan picking apart this deep, this Broncos secondary. Uh, in fact, I think he might even turn it over a couple times um, with the way that the Broncos are playing defensively. So if the Colts are going to win, they're going to have to pound it on the ground. Um, and I think that Jonathan Taylor is going to have to have a really big game. And then I think the Broncos offense, which this could very well happen, needs to continue to struggle, right? Like they can't, um, you know, continue to uh, be so bad and, and expect to win a game like this, because I do think, It'll be somewhat of a slugfest. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be ugly. This is, we were joking before, Thursday Night Football has gotten some good games so far. This might be one where, you know, it's going to be tough on the eyes for sure. Tough for the national audience. Oh, boy. But George Stoya, host of the Touchdown Denver Podcast. Make sure you check him out right here on Odyssey. Does a great job uh, with all things Denver Broncos. Appreciate you coming behind Emmy Lines with us. And hopefully for us, all, all three of us here, just hope for a pretty game. You know, 17-14, I think it's going to be a low score. Maybe we'll be wrong here. We'll get a, a nice, offensively pleasing game for really for both teams for the first time this season. Yeah, give us a shootout. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything what we've seen so far through the first four weeks. Thank you again, George. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. As always, Colts fans, catch the Blue Horseshoe Podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're here three times a week, a post-game pod, a midweek pod, and a preview pod. Today, or this week, I should say, a little different. We're putting the midweek pod and the preview pod together as well with the short week. We do thank George Stoya for coming on here. Give us a few minutes kind of go behind the scenes in Denver, which 
Never would have thought, George, going to this matchup, how similar the Colts and the Broncos would be. But boy, oh boy, it's been ugly to watch. So I'll ask you this for as we get into our picks here. Combined, will both teams score 20 points or combine to score 20 points on Thursday? I don't think so. I don't think so. If they do, they're going to barely break that mark. I'm going to I'm going to put them just over. I, I just said I don't think so. And then I'm going to give you a score prediction that does it. Uh, I'm going to say 13-10 Denver. Uh, okay. That, that, that's my pick. Uh, and the reason is I trust the Denver defense more than I trust the Colts defense right now. Both offenses are struggling, uh, but I just feel like that Denver defense is, is a little more unlikely to let a struggling offense find life uh, than the Colts defense has been so far this year. I like that. I'll go a little bit higher score, but not much. I'll say 17-13 Denver. I like that 13 score. I think a lot of field goals, especially in mile high, will be uh, will be kicked. And even though there's no Javante Williams for the Broncos, even though uh, Melvin Gordon has just been a fumbling machine so far anytime he's been in the ballgame, and like you mentioned before, Russell Wilson's dealing with a right shoulder injury, which is never good, especially considering how poor he's played so far to start the season. You look at, like you said, this Denver defense and their strength being in the secondary. Colts can't run the ball, even though the Broncos got sliced up on the ground last week against the Raiders. Colts can't run the ball no matter who's playing defense. So that, you know, we can almost, with John Taylor coming in banged up, if he does play, I still think he'll be a, a big factor on Thursday. And to throw the ball a lot, and that's not really a great matchup for the Colts. Like you said, I trust Denver's defense. That Their secondary is by far the best unit in this game with, with you know, hands down. I think that would be kind of the one that gives the Colts fits and, Denver's done it ugly, but I think they'll make just enough plays. And we, we've seen the Colts defense at least one half, almost every single game, play sloppily and give up some big plays. So you got to figure that's going to continue, especially you no know Shaq Leonard, who on top of a concussion, George, we found out on uh, on Tuesday that he's also dealing with a broken nose, which now could put his return uh, back on the field, even, you know, delay that even more, which just what the Colts mm-hmm. need, of course. Why the hell not add more insult to injury? But I like your score prediction. It's going to be ugly. Offensive football is going to be set back in like 50 years. Um, apologies to Amazon. Apologize to non-Colter Broncos fans. They're going to tune in for this one and say, what the hell am I watching? Um, but also, George, apologies to us and all Colts, Colts and Broncos fans out there because at least for a non-Colter Broncos fan, they could turn off like the third quarter and say, all right, I got something better to do. We won't be able to do that. You know, we'll be we'll be stuck in there watching what is going to be just ugly football for four quarters. Should be uh, Should be a blast. Can't wait. To the bitter end. I mean, you sold it. There's no doubt. Amazon should use this clip now, you know, to, to, <laughs> to, to, to hype this game. You sold it. Uh, people got to get, get really fired up. I will say this. Colts fans, I guess, should have some optimism. We've agreed every week. We've only been right once. So us both picking sure. the Broncos probably means an Indianapolis victory. Uh, but that's there. That's my optimism for the day. That's actually right. Wow, you're right. We've agreed on every single pick so far. And we have been right once. Wowza. Wow, we are awful. We are killing it so far. That one shouldn't even count because it's a three space. We just picked Jacksonville to win in Jacksonville. That's a good point. Yeah, that didn't even do that's a gimme. We're guaranteed to go at least one in sixteen this year on our game picks because that that like you said the free space. I like how you put that for sure. That's a that's a gimme one right there. Collect two hundred dollars as you pass go. Thank you very much. <laughs> so that'll do it for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. I guess, you know, the, the try to laugh, right, George? Like, you know, I don't want to – I'm going to laugh to, I guess, prevent the crying from watching the ugliness on Thursday. That's that's hey, the best advice we can give as we part our ways here? It'll be Blue Horseshoe after dark. Uh, people definitely need to tune in and, and catch that one, you know, first primetime game. So who knows? Who knows what we're going to be like after watching that for, for three and a half hours? 
The Colts have shocked us all season long, George. So maybe this is the game where all of a sudden we're looking at a, a 35-31 kind of game with, with Matt Ryan and the offensive line looking great and the Colts coming out with a, a surprising one. Let's go with that. Let's give a little optus as we leave the folks here, right? I have said this earlier this week. I don't think I said it on the pod, but ev- this is one of those years every week is a new season. Just throw everything else off the board. Every week is a brand new team and a brand new season. So we'll see what this next season looks like on Thursday night. Tune in on Thursday because we have no idea what the hell kind of Colts team we'll see and what to expect for sure. So like George mentioned, we will be back Friday morning. A reaction to what happens on Thursday night. Hopefully a Colts win, but like who the hell knows at this point with, with how the Colts have surprised us almost every single week. So I guess Colts fans, enjoy the game. Appreciate listening as always. Make sure you follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. He'll be tweeting away during the game. So will I at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. And we'll talk to you Friday morning right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.